If you've been with us for any length of time, you know that we, we've been struggling with uh, John 1, 3, 1 John 1, 3. This chapter is incredibly controversial in uh, especially Protestant Christian circles. Uh, a lot of people think that this chapter is the key to knowing whether or not you get to go to heaven or not. Um, that if, it's for people who are sitting there wondering whether or not they're, gonna, they're good enough or, or, or they're Christian enough or loving enough to, to have eternal life. That's what a lot of people think this chapter is. Um, I've given you uh, my translation of um, the, almost the entire chapter on the back of your note sheets if you want to read through it. Um, you'll notice that, that we've, been, we've been arguing that's not what John was about. That's not what he was trying to communicate. In fact, one of the big things that John was really communicating to his hearers in his context was that we're in a cosmic war, that we're actually fighting up. There's an enemy out there who's seeking to destroy God's church. Um, We're we're out there, and, and there's an enemy whose minions have nothing but hatred, have nothing but distaste, contempt for us simply because we follow Jesus. And there's nothing that we can do about that. In fact... One of the things that we saw last week, uh, looking at this text and a few of the the verses before, was that what what God, when he institutes love in the church, when he institutes love in the church, there's a reason for it. It's because we're under attack, and we need mutual love in order to survive. And that's actually the first thing on your note sheets. Um, If we could just jump there really quick. Uh, Mutual love is the church's bulwark against the enemy. And it works like this. When you're... um, when you're out there and because you're a Christian, someone maybe doesn't give you a job, right? Or your, your career is threatened because they don't like the fact that you follow Jesus. Well, in, in, in situations like that, it's the church that comes around you and protects you, that gives you love and succor in your time of need. It's the church that, that finds you and, and holds you together because of their love for you. And likewise, if you're a person who's uh, you know, got uh, resources of, of any kind, when, when others are in need in the church, you provide those things. That mutual love gives the church a bulwark, uh, a protection against the outside world, against the enemy. And that's the, the first reason that we practice love as Christians is because God wants the church to, to be protected against the world. Now, when we talk about love, we know that love isn't just something that we feel. It's not like my heart, oh, I'm just, I'm squishy, hoo-hoo, I love my church, rainbows, rainbows, unicorns, and lollipops. That's not how it works. Rather, as John points out, he's like, you've got to love not in words and speech, but in action and truth. And if you do this, if you do this, then the church is going to be safe. We're going to be protected in the midst of a hostile environment, a hostile world in which there's an enemy that wants to get after us. But I want us to look again um, at the text, uh, at the very beginning of this text and at the very end. This is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is it. If you want to know what action and truth is required of you, it's, it's this. It's simple. Jesus gives you the example. He laid down his life, and so you ought to do the same thing for your brothers and sisters. Oh, that's it. Now, before we talk about the, the actual crucifixion, let's just remember that if you, um, there's places in the New Testament that talk about what it cost Jesus, the eternal word of God, to come and be a human being. If you're, if you're God, then even just putting on flesh, even just being here in this environment, surrounded by these people, that is a sacrifice. It's, it's humiliation. You're condescending to do that. Because you're the Lord of the universe. In fact, we know that, 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 that Christ is the word through whom all creation is made. 
And this very word through whom all creation is made comes down and subjects himself to the creation itself and goes so far in that subjection that he's willing to let the creation through whom he created to torture him to death. When we say Jesus laid down his life, that's not cute. That's not beautiful in a traditional way of thinking about beautiful. That is an utterly radical, utterly gracious, and utterly unrepeatable act. And yet John's sitting here and he's like, if if you want to know what love looks like, well, just look at Jesus, what he did, and you do the same thing. He laid down his life for us. You lay down your life for the brothers and sisters. When I was a young man, stuff like that was very inspiring to me. When you're young, um, you have nothing to lose, and so you're, you're stupid, and so you... Okay, I know, I'm still a little bit young, a little, little bit stupid, but I was even more stupid in my teens and 20s. And, and hearing things like that would be like, wow, that's so incredible, that's so amazing. It would make me think of people like this guy. That's Eric Liddell. You guys see that movie, Chariots of Fire? Um, he, was, he was Scottish. The Scots are going to get... Um, a fair bit of play in this sermon. Uh, if you have Scottish blood, you're a, you're a strong people, um, and thank you. Uh, Eric Liddell was Scottish. He was the child of Chinese missionaries, or missionaries to China. And uh, what was, sets him apart from you know normal uh, missionary kids is that he was also a phenomenal runner. And so he, um, he, he got the gold medal in the 1924 Olympics for the 200-meter dash. He could have gotten the gold in his actual, uh, he was actually a 400-meter co- competitor, but um, it was on Sunday, and he felt that was disrespectful, so he, he declined to run and gave up literally a gold medal um, to, to honor God. Instead of having a career as a runner, Liddell uh, then returned to China, where he served um, in a, in a home for, for children. He taught. He was there uh, during the time of the Japanese occupation. He was a member of an internment camp um, where he died of, um, of, they think, a brain hemorrhage after being mal- maltreated and, and malnourished. And he, um, he's a martyr for the faith. So that guy actually did lay it all down. Here's another one. It's Jim Elliott. Uh, if you've seen the movie End of the Spear, he's in that. Um, Jim Elliott uh, died at 28 years old. He uh, went down to South America as a missionary to spread the gospel um, to indigenous peoples as a translator. And um, him and five or four other missionaries um, were murdered by 10 indigenous warriors when they were trying to share the gospel. He left behind a wife and I think three kids. Um, and then she, Elizabeth, told his story um, and, and, and gave an, really an entire generation um, a sense of what it, what it could mean to, to lay down your life for the brothers and sisters. There's this guy. Oh, I should mention Jim Elliott. His father was Scottish, so the Scots doing really well. This guy's German, you can tell, because he's miserable. This is... Uh, <laughs> what, is that not... I'm, I'm mostly German. That's how I look all the time. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German uh, evangelical pastor uh, during World War II. He uh, was part of the Confessing Church. Uh, Adolf Hitler um, and the Third Reich uh, imprisoned him because he would not give his imprimatur to the Third Reich to um, murder the Jews. And as a result, he uh, languished in prison for several years, um, finally became a part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. It was found out, and he was executed. Um, I think when he was 39... 
He laid down his life. I, I bring this up because um, I think that a lot of times we, we read stuff like this, you know, oh, just lay down your life like Jesus. And uh, it almost doesn't even hit us, right? It almost doesn't even, because we're, we're in this context. It's 21st century. Uh, we've got cell phones that have the entire internet on them all the time. We, we live in South Orange County. Uh, for us, I mean, what Christianity is pretty much just like, a lot of times it's just like, well, be a decent human being, right? Try to, try to hang in there and, and do okay, be a nice, nice person. Um, and yet what, what, what John says is he says, if you're wondering what it is to lay down your life for the brothers and sisters, look at Christ. Now, John was, <laughs> John, uh, one of, tradition has it that John was the, was the only one of the disciples of Jesus who uh, died of old age. In fact, uh, 1 John, this text, this book that we're reading, is really probably written near the end of his life. It's probably written after James, uh, the disciple, has been thrown from the temple and uh, martyred in front of the Jews in Jerusalem. It's probably after um, Peter has been crucified upside down so that he won't uh, imitate uh, the same sufferings of Christ. It's probably after Thomas has been martyred in India trying to bring gospel, the gospel to, to the east. It's probably after Paul has, has been condemned to death. And, and probably all the people, the close people that John knew, who really had spent time with Jesus on this earth, they're probably all martyred right now. And so when he says, Jesus laid down his life for us, you do the same for the brothers and sisters, I don't think he's messing around. Bottom line, this is the second thing in your note sheets, is that um, self-sacrificial love is the call of every Christian to the local church. Every one of us is called to this. Um, now, we're not all called uh, to, to die, um, of course, but in a way we are. We are called to die to ourselves. And, and if we start to take that seriously, and if we really think about what that means, that should be a little bit shocking to us. That should be a little bit uncomfortable for us. If we um, go back to the text, I just want to draw a couple things out. This is how we will know that we are of the truth and persuade our hearts before him when our hearts condemn us. Um, This is a very, I've smoothed this as best I can. Um, John actually did not probably write or speak in Greek as a first language. It's probably a second language for him. Um, This is one of the places where it shows up. If you're reading the Greek, this is not a real sentence. Uh, he, He uses the word because three times in a row. Try to construct a sentence with because three times in a row. It gets very challenging, even in English, certainly so in Greek. Um, so I, I've smoothed it as best I can. Even the New King James um, actually omits a word here to try and smooth it out. Uh, but but I, I think what's important about it is getting the feel, the sense of what John's trying to communicate. In fact, probably the reason his Greek is jumbled here is because he's saying something so important. He's trying to communicate something that every Christian is going to experience. And it goes like this. This is how you know that you're of the truth. And you're going to have to be able to persuade your heart, even before God, when it condemns you. When it condemns you. Because if you take what I've just said seriously, it will condemn you at some point or another. Um, I just want to take a look at the word uh, hearts here. Um, when we hear the word heart, like we, we tend to think of follow your heart. And that's like, oh, do stuff that I enjoy or desire. Like if you follow your heart, and then like I followed my heart and became a philosophy major and was totally unemployable. 
Like, everyone, that's what we think about with hearts, right? It's like feelings, and that's not how heart works in Greek. Heart really is more something like your, your complete assessment of your inner life, your full self, everything about you, everything that you are. And in this context, when, when John's talking about a heart, he's talking about if you, if you look deep and you're honest about who you are and everything that you've done, this is what you have to say about yourself. This is the sum total, the full assessment of who you are. And what's unavoidable is that if you take me seriously, John says, and you take my brothers and sisters who've been martyred seriously, then, then you recognize that if you haven't been tortured to death yet, you're probably not truly imitating fully, in a complete sense, what Christ has done for us. And if that's the case, and you think that's what you're supposed to do, if you really believe you've been called to, to imitate him, then, then you're not there yet, and you will be condemned before God. You're going to look at your heart and say, I didn't do it, I'm not enough. And that's the next thing in, in the note sheets, um, I think, is the, uh, yeah, the honest self-assessment of every person is the same. I have not done and cannot do enough. Uh, when I was in college, like I said, I was a philosophy major. Um, so I was in a philosophy class. Uh, <laughs> and the, uh, the prof- I went to a small liberal arts school. Uh, it's in the South. Um, and I don't remember what it cost at the time. But I, from what I understand, it's exorbitantly expensive. Um, I, was, uh, I was on... I was on at least a, a pretty decent scholarship, not, not the whole thing. Um, so we're still paying that off, probably will be for, for years to come. Um, but w- while I was there, uh, I, I, was, I was in class, and a lot of my fellow students were just obscenely wealthy. They came from uh, families that... My friend Drew, his grandmother, bought a mountain um, in Missouri. I'm not kidding, this is a true fact. She bought a mountain in Missouri, and she hollowed it out and built like a mansion inside the mountain, so that she would be protected when the aliens came. Yeah. <laughs> so when you have a lot of money, look out, it makes you go crazy. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're, in the, we're in class, and uh, Dr. Rob, he's like, he's like hey, um, I don't know how much it was. Let's just say that your, your four-year experience here at this college is going to cost $100,000. And some of you, some, in fact, a lot of you, your parents just wrote a check. Now, right now, if I got $100,000, I could go to Africa, and I could find a small tribe, and I could provide self-sustaining, clean water for the entire tribe, for the entire tribe's existence for the rest of their lives. Now, why is it, and how do you justify the fact that you're sitting here in this beautiful place, North Carolina, enjoying, I mean, he didn't believe in God, but creation, and, you, and, and, you, and you're here, and you're enjoying all of this. You're, you're, you're being literally four years. You're just messing around, reading Plato. Okay, that's what your job is. Your job. What justifies you getting a hundred thousand dollars to do that when we could take that hundred thousand and save an entire tribe in Africa? I was like, yes, I'm on scholarship. He's not talking to me. <laughs> I'm the victim here. I don't have to answer this question. Well, it turns out what he's really doing is he's getting every person to be honest about the fact that you can never do enough. And if we're honest, there really isn't any reason. Some of the one student's like, well, (laughs) literally, I mean, people are so out of touch. It's like, well, if I become a major philanthropist, then maybe I'll help more tribes in Africa. It's like, okay, man, yeah. 
Good answer. Or it could just be that your parents want some good stuff for you and they're making this happen for you. I mean, either one. Yeah, maybe they want you to be a philanthropist, whatever. Uh, the, the point is, is that every person in the room sat and was, had an honest moment where like, wow, I'm not enough. I'm, in fact, I'm kind of evil. I'm pretty selfish. Because I could be doing X and instead I'm doing Y. And the fact of the matter is, is if we think about that in terms of our Christian lives, you, well, you could be doing X instead you're doing Y. And there is no end to that set of questions of how far that can go. You can't do enough. You're not enough. And yet, at the same time, in that same sentence, John's also saying, and yet, if you want to know what your love should look like, it should be like Christ's. It should be utterly and completely self-sacrificial and self-giving to the uttermost. How do we balance these two things? How do we balance these two things? That brings us um, to, to, to the last part. This is how we'll know that we're of the tr- truth and we'll be able to persuade our hearts before him. We literally like, convince ourselves that our self-assessment is okay um, when our hearts condemn us because they will, because we're not enough. God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Um, this is not the solution we were looking for. Remember, I promised you, you'd know how many Sundays you'd have to show up to be um, a loving Christian, uh, how many uh, Haitians you needed to support uh, really, just what exactly the standard is um, to, be, to be great and to be self-giving and, self, and, and, and self-sacrificial. I promise that. And then instead of giving us an, a, a list, a matrix, as it were, the accountants in the audience, I know you like matrices, so you can really just get it really set up just right to know exactly what you have to do. Instead of giving that, John says this, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Almost God's bigger or transcends our hearts. Remember, hearts isn't feelings. It's not, oh, I'm following my heart. Instead, it's your self-honest self-assessment. God transcends your ability to know yourself. And that's important. Because when you look at you, you have, we have, the now in mind. We have today. We have here. I know the things I've done. I know the things I haven't done. I know who I am trying to communicate the word in front of you, and I know that I'm not enough. What I don't know, what I don't know, is who I will be in the end. God is greater than my self-assessment. God is greater than your self-assessment. In fact, God sees you as you really are. This is uh, the next thing in your note sheets, John's answer to the problem. God knows the real us, or me, or you. God knows what you will be like when you truly are fully conformed into the image of his son, which is what will happen on the last day. At that time, you truly will fully imbibe the eternal life of God, and you will be eternally self-sacrificial. You will be the true image of Christ in its entirety, in its fullness. And when God looks at you, he already sees that. That's what he sees. Once you've trusted him, he sees that eternal life living in you. He doesn't see... All the other stuff, he, I mean, in a way, overlooks it or ignores it because he knows where you're headed. He knows where you're headed eschatologically at the end of days. He knows your, your destiny. And in that destiny, he knows what you will become. And as a result, he doesn't hold you to the standard of whatever you're capable of doing now. He holds you to the standard that he himself has already fulfilled in Christ. That you don't have to struggle under it. The next thing is that uh, God sees things we can't, right? So uh, God um, sees the real us. Um, he transcends or is greater than our hearts, but also he knows everything. 
Um, some of us uh, are, you know, like to do it, like to get it done. Um, real doers. Uh, I envy you. You people get up at the, you get up early and you're like, ready to face the day. I'm like, no. I'm, I, I envy you. But, but a lot of folks who really want to get it done also have this problem where they, they, they just can't do it all, right? And it's like there's always something missing, something left, something that hasn't been done. And you can start to feel guilty about that, right? You're like, oh, I, I missed this. I didn't quite get it done. One of the things that we need to understand is that God knows the whole picture, the whole tapestry, the entire vision of the universe, a vision that we do not have. And in that, he sees things that we don't, that we can't. He understands that there may be issues, maybe things that, you know, it's a good thing that you can't get it all done because it creates a space for someone else to do something. Maybe it's a good thing you can't get it all done because it forces you to recognize you're not enough. Maybe it's a good thing that you can't get it done because it forces you to trust someone greater than yourself. Trust in the one who sees the whole thing, who understands how it's all going to work out, who comprehends its beauty and its depth, even in its darkness, and even in its struggle, even in its fear. Paul at one point says uh, that the Lord gave him a word, your strength, or your, uh, my strength is perfected in your weakness. You're not Superman. I'm not Superman. And that's a good thing because it means that God is free to be Superman. God is free to let other people have strength in this thing. God is free to do things that we can't believe or would be surprised by or wouldn't come up with on our own. God is bigger than we are and he sees everything. And in that we can rest knowing, yeah, our hearts condemn us, but they don't need to because we're not responsible. And that's the last thing. Setting the world to rights is God's job, not ours. God's job, not ours. We live in a can-do society. Everyone here can do it. It's a sign of weakness when we can't get it done in this world. And yet, that's not our job. I, I, I set this up actually in a kind of a tricky way because John does, um, he does say, hey, mutual love is the church's bulwark against the enemy. But that makes it sound like, makes it sound like mutual love is what we have to do in order to make everything right. It makes it feel like it's, it's our responsibility to make sure the church is safe. It's our responsibility to, to, act, to, to love in action and truth. That it's all on us and it's on our shoulders. When no, that's not exact, that's not it at all. God gives us these opportunities. He gives us these places where we can serve and live and act in order that, in order that he can accomplish his ends. He doesn't need you. God doesn't need you. If he needed you, he wouldn't have had to send his son. God tried it with human beings for a long time, and human beings weren't enough. Human beings did a terrible job trying to fix things. Every time human beings try to fix things, it gets worse. And yet we sit there and we're like, oh, I got to do it. I gotta, if, I, if I don't do it, who will? I'll tell you, somebody else. If you can't do it, who will? Well, maybe it's God's turn. The point is that John knows um, that all of us are going to come to a moment where if we really try to imitate Christ, we truly do try to give ourselves self-sacrificially to the church, we're going to fail. And our hearts will condemn us. 
And I just want to leave you um, some, some, some takeaways, some basic things. There, I think that everyone here um, has, in one way or another, uh, something to be taught by this, verse, or by this, this, this text. And the first is, um, if, if you're the, the kind of person who um, never feels guilty, and you're just kind of like laying back and just, yeah. I come to church, you know, hopefully I get a little bit of self-help every couple weeks, you know. Um, but I'm not stressed about it. Um, no. John's serious when he says, um, give yourself as Christ gave himself. And he's very serious about locating that in the church. Because the church is the place that God is doing what God's going to do, building his kingdom and defending it against the enemy. So if you're like, hey, whatever, I'm just going to ch- kick back, that's not what what's being, you're being called to do. You really are being called to commit to a, a community of faith, a smaller body, a local church. You were being called to that. You were being called to make your decision about what you think Jesus is about and whether or not he's the real deal. You are being called to devote your resources in action and in love to, to, to doing the work of the ministry. Uh, and when we say resources, I don't want you to think money. I mean, money's great and we're all about money. But, but really, and, and even something as simple as, as physical strength can be something that's hugely important for defending and protecting the people of faith. Uh, there used to be... Um, in Southern California, it used to be a thing that you could do um, where you'd be able to, like, you'd save up money and be able to buy a house. It was an incredible time. Uh, the, the 90s, um, early 2000s, that day has passed. Um, but, but people still need to move from one place to the other. And one of the things that the church does is we move each other. It's a simple, silly thing. And man, it makes a difference. But it's only possible because of the resource you have, men, and your strong backs and your muscles. My back went out for the first time two weeks ago. Um, I went to the chiropractor, a lot of fun, loved it. I like the part where he rolls me over the bench and just cracks my lower back. Um, and I could tell then that I needed to do some squats because uh, i got to tighten up my core because I need to have that same strength so that I can devote that resource. Likewise you, I mean, it's resource, you know, strength, it can be prestige, it can be influence if you've got, um, you know, your, your job affords you some kind of influence in the world. That can be used to help defend the church. Do it. So yeah, if you're just sitting back, living, living large, um, and, and not stressed, no. You are called to love the brothers and sisters in action and truth. If you're the kind of person who's guilty, feeling guilty because you haven't done enough. Um, you're, uh, you're type A, and uh, you're, there's all, you never quite uh, finish the list of things that you're attempting to do today. You're never quite to the end of that list. Stop. You're not God. You're not Superman. It's okay for your list to have a few things unchecked. God's not calling you to do everything. He's calling you to be faithful in a few things. So go be faithful and be content with that. Don't think, ah, I've got to... You know what? You're right. You can't do it. And thank goodness, because if you could, you'd be one of those insufferably proud people who's like, "Ah, my life is perfect. Nobody wants that. You don't want to be that. I don't want you to be that. God doesn't want you to be that. So let go. Some of you, um, you get compassion fatigue. This is a real thing. Uh, people who are in social work and uh, nonprofits often drop out after a period of time because they, they see that there's too much to be done and it exhausts them. And so they, um, they, just, they just give up doing anything. Um, the way to deal with compassion fatigue is to narrow your focus and to say no to a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, they, well, there, there's some 
uh, statistic about how like 10% of the people in the church do 90% of the work or something like that. That's true. There are like about six of you who like make this whole thing happen. I really appreciate it. Do. Uh, you're great. Um, you know something? You're not going to be able to do that forever. You're going you're gonna to conk out after a while. And here's the deal. Um, you're actually doing a favor to that lazy slob next to you in the pew when you leave something for them to do too. Uh, in, in fact, what, it, what it's really doing is it's giving them an opportunity to be a disciple as well and to give of themselves, to start having that self-sacrificial love in their own lives. In fact, when the ball gets dropped, when you, you're juggling, you're like, oh, okay, I've got to do this, 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 this. If you let that ball drop, then I'll be like, that ball dropped. The church is failing. And I'll be like, hey, turns out we need some volunteers for the youth group. Speaking of which, turns out we need some volunteers for the youth group. Yeah, um, I don't know if you know Lloyd, Lloyd Graham, what a, what a blessing. Uh, he's an elder, and he has like 12 children, and he's, got, uh, he's done 36 different uh, missions trips. I'm like, <laughs> does this guy, is there anything he doesn't do? When does the man sleep? Blows my mind. Uh, and, <laughs> and he's like, uh, he's like yeah, Tom, um, I got a promotion at work, and so I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do youth group this year. I'm like, oh. Well, shoot. Well, I guess it's going to fall apart unless somebody here steps up, because I'm not going to do it. So somebody here, somebody think. Start thinking. We need some help here. We need people to, to step in. Lloyd can't do it all himself. It tires the man out. And the only thing that he really wants to see is he wants to see, one, like, the Padres or the Chargers have a winning season, and that's hopeless too. So he's got nothing going for him. So please help Lloyd and step up. Sorry, Lloyd. Also, he's going to be preaching in two weeks. <laughs> oh, take my own medicine. It's great. Okay. Um, hey, we, we're, there's people who need to step up for children's ministry. We've got so many people who are pooped out here, pooped out there. People get compassion fatigue. Step up, please. Do your part. It's a little thing, but boy, it matters. Uh, some of you, yes, right. Uh, some of you... Um, start to feel guilty because you're taking care of your own family, taking care of the needs of your own people. Well, if you're doing, if like, okay, if taking care of your family means like it's totally outrageous and you guys are just having, you're jet setting and having fun all the time, okay, pull it back a little bit. But if you're, if you're literally feeling guilty because, you know, you're trying to get your kids to school and keep them dressed and all that, and you're like, I'm not serving enough because, dude, no. It's okay to take care of your family. Uh, Paul at one point says, oh, no, no one anything but love, meaning don't be, like, take care of your own household. Get it done. Be, but if you're going over the top, yeah, just only six vacations to Hawaii. If you're on that seventh one, you should probably go to Haiti instead. In fact, there's a, another Haiti trip going uh, in, in Christmas time, so get ready. Uh, think about it. If it, you can, instead of going to Hawaii, you can go to Haiti and help out. Yep, there you go. It's, it's okay to take care of your own family. And the last, uh, of course, is those who... Um, who stop doing anything because what's the point? This is, this is me, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, when I was sitting there in that philosophy class, and, uh, and uh, Dr. Rob kind of laid it down. as like, oh, what do you get to do? You're just spinning your wheels here when we could be saving people in Africa. And uh, that hit home for me uh, because I was like, yeah, you're right, and I don't have any excuse. And then, because I'm a lazy person by nature, I took the next step and said, well, then whatever. What's the point? Why bother? 
And to people like us, um, I think what John's saying is something like this. Yeah, you can't save the world. But it doesn't mean you can't do something. So pray, reflect, find out where your heart is. What is it that you've been called to do? Even if it's a small thing. It could be a huge thing, it could be a small thing. But locate that thing and then be faithful to that. And in that, I believe that we will see the love of the brothers and sisters welling up and we'll see a strong and vibrant and powerful church. We'll see a world that will be shocked that there are people who, even though we're not perfect, are still doing right. And in that, I think we will see the hope of the gospel in our midst. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, um, I pray for all those who, who do too much, God, that you will take uh, things from their plates. I pray, God, for those um, who, who don't do much of anything at all, that you will light a fire and get them engaged, and ready to serve and act in love, uh, love and act in truth. God, we thank you um, for the example of your son who, who really did give it all. I pray that we will be inspired to give it all, and yet when our hearts condemn us because we can't, that we'll remember that you're God. Your plan is the plan. Your tapestry is the beautiful one. Your hope is our hope. And in that, we'll be able to rest, knowing that you are God, we are your children, and though we can't do it all, we can be faithful in what we've been called. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.